Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, good morning. How are you doing, Jason? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Yep. Uh, haven't had to water the lawn in, <laughs> in months, it seems, Bill. It's It's been nice. Yeah, we've had some pretty bad storms, uh, at least around my, my house. Things are drenched, and uh, yeah, it's been pretty amazing in terms of what we've seen um, as far as Mother Nature cons- is concerned, for sure. Yes, if you want to complain about the weather, just wait a while, and it'll it'll come back around. Well, you, you know, when you start reading articles about uh, how to avoid lightning strikes, that, <laughs> that, that the weather's been pretty awful, that's for sure. Well, Bill, uh, let's get into one of the main topics here this morning. And we hear this term a lot, uh, fiduciary. And it's, uh, it's an important term, but I don't know that everyone kind of grasps exactly what, uh, a, what the fiduciary standard is. Well, it's it's actually a legal standard, uh, and it's a really important legal standard. It's it's fairly broad, uh, and I want to talk about it this morning because I th- I think um, it is so important. Uh, but the bottom line is, a fiduciary is held to a higher standard than a non-fiduciary, um, and truthfully, a fiduciary should always act in your best interest. And uh, now, in other words, not self-interest, in other words, not what's best for the fiduciary, but what's best for you, what's best for the folks that the fiduciary is supposed to be uh, looking out for. And there's lots and lots and lots of examples. uh, And the the best example, well, I I won't say the best example, just an example right now that's in the news that's so important. I mean, all of us have been appalled about what we've read in the newspaper about the the grand jury report out of Pennsylvania uh, in the Pittsburgh area about the sexual abuse and molestation of, of children by Catholic priests. Um, and then, of course, it, it goes on because this this report uh, covers uh, several decades, not just the last few years. So many of the crimes that took place can't be prosecuted at this point because of statute of limitations. But that that does not mean that people were not seriously harmed, if not harmed for their lifetime. You know, psychological harm as well as other harm. Now. You know, truthfully, Catholic priests are not the only ones out there uh, doing uh, sexual abuse. And, and, and of course, as you know, Jason, I'm not Catholic. I'm Presbyterian, you know, so, but uh, we're all Christians as it relates to Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Catholics, right. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the whole bit. And I'm not – and, of course, I would be the first to say – uh, that I have no doubt that most Catholic priests are wonderful people, wonderful human beings that are exemplary. But like in everything, there are a few bad apples. Uh, and that's true for all of us. That's true for all professions. It's true for, for uh, no matter where we look. 
there's going to be a few bad apples no matter what. And so we have to look after ourselves. But the, uh, what makes this even worse is that children can't protect themselves. And when you're talking about a Catholic priest, or it would be similar in the Presbyterian Church if we were talking about a senior pastor or just a pastor, if you will, they're held to a higher standard. They are fiduciaries. We are entrusting our children to them, you know, quite uh, uh, frequently. And, you know, they are the leaders of the church. Um, and uh, as a result, um, you know, as a, as a teacher of our children, you know, our expectation is that they will uh, teach our children the highest standards, uh, Christian standards, if you will, of goodness and love and things like that. Well, to, to think that a person that we've entrusted would do this kind of harm to our children is just it, it mind-boggling and uh, appalling. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but this is not just a crime, but from a legal standard. It's a breach of a fiduciary duty. Now, there are lots and lots of folks that have fiduciary duties, and this is just one example, but it's a good one for us to at least talk about because it's one that enrages us, <laughs> you know. Uh, and it, now, so we know based on the report that there were numerous times of this criminal and appalling behavior on the part of Catholic priests. Um, but the report also talked about something that's almost as bad, and that is the cover-up that occurred at higher levels in the church. Uh, and, you know, they were talking about uh, Bishop Worley, who is now the Archbishop of, of Washington, D.C. area, which is obviously a big job. But he was previously in Pittsburgh where uh, over a fairly long period of time where a number of uh, these uh, sexual predators uh, came, it came to light. And he was at least a, a, the top dog at the <laughs> in that district, if you will, where it was covered up, not reported to the police, not in, not investigated in that way. And and by cover up, it basically means that the priests who did these horrible things um, were just some, you know nothing bad happened to them. They were reassigned, maybe. Uh, so, I mean, the, and the sad part is reassigned so that they could continue being a sexual predator. They may have sought forgiveness and all of that good stuff, but that really is, you know, pretty sad when you think about it. So we have a breach of fiduciary standards on two levels. We have the criminal acts, and then we have the cover-up, which makes it doubly bad, if... <laughs> if you will. And, of course, it's refreshing to see the statements that the Pope has made in this past week. It seems like maybe something will finally be done. 
And clearly the Catholic Church has already uh, instituted um, reforms where this should not happen in the future, but it could. I mean, if you think about it, there's a, there's a conflict for these higher-level people. You know, it's like they don't want to expose it because it degrades the institution of the church. It's like they don't want people to know about it because it reflects very badly on their institution. Well, and you see that attitude, in, in not just in the Catholic Church, but in lots of different institutions where bad things happen and it's covered up because it reflects badly. But that still doesn't justify uh, the cover-up of, of these heinous crimes, uh, which is so, so bad. But, uh, but the bottom line is, the, for us, in terms of our discussion, it's the fiduciary duty. It's the fact that it's not just that these folks have a standard of not molesting children, which is clearly the standard for all of us who are not in a fiduciary right. role— but when you're in a fiduciary role, it's twice as bad because people are entrusting you to um, and, and ex- expecting a higher standard from people. So, who are other folks that we have a, that have a fiduciary duty? Well, an, another similar example are teachers of young children, um, or, or I mean, you can say just teachers of minor children. Period. Uh, and, of course, we've read about things disappointing, and, and more often than not, it has to do with sexual encounters with, with uh, young people uh, by teachers who should know better. But it's the same thing in the sense that it's a fiduciary duty for the teachers not to do that. But, you know, lawyers have a fiduciary duty to give you the best advice that's in your best interest. Um, you know, they're held to a fiduciary standard. Um, uh, but, and truthfully, um, uh, we don't think of it this way, but uh, most of the time, but police officers have a fiduciary duty, although it doesn't seem like <laughs> it works that way. Government officials uh, swear an oath. Uh, to the Constitution and and the laws of the land, if you will. And, of course, unfortunately, it seems like uh, those are uh, uh, oaths that are breached uh, (laughs) all the time, unfortunately. Um, But, uh, you know, from a legal perspective, um, for instance, uh, you have appointments, like, for instance, if you're a trustee, that is a fiduciary duty for the beneficiaries. If you're an executor under a last will and testament, that's, a, again, a fiduciary duty um, relating to um, the devisees, the folks who are supposed to get the property. And it's also a fiduciary duty to the creditors of the estate. In other words, you've basically signed an oath saying that I'm going to make sure that the creditors are paid and then whatever's left will be distributed out to the folks that the will says is supposed to get the property. You know, So again, that's a fiduciary um, a duty. Um, and, and so 
Uh, fiduciary basically means that a person is held to a higher standard. Another good example that we deal with all the time in my office is uh, a person who is appointed as your agent under a power of attorney. And sometimes, and the one that that uh, there are two that are very important to people. One is a healthcare agent, a person you've appointed to make healthcare decisions for you. If you're uh, not able to communicate your own decision to your physician, then your agent can do that. Uh, and then financially, uh, which is the one that tends to be abused by the fiduciaries, and that's an agent who's been appointed under a general durable power of attorney. And of course, so it, it, it's extremely important for folks um, uh, to uh, think carefully about who they would choose as the as their fiduciary because oftentimes it's when you choose a fiduciary it might be your spouse it might be a child it might be more than one child and of course families are complicated you know sometimes you have children by previous marriage and then you have an, another spouse involved sometimes the spouse has a different family set um, and so and you're talking about your property. And so it's not necessarily just about you. It's about having an agent who would act similarly. In other words, would do what you would do. And when you have a complicated family situation, that uh, may not be obvious uh, because, in, in essence, it's like, Who's supposed to get the property? Who do you want to get the property? And a and a fiduciary, an agent, can skew that. So again, who your agent is and how you do that is a very very important decision. Uh, but it's it is important for us. And of course, when we appoint our own agents, which is what we do in my office all the time, when we do healthcare powers of attorney and general durable powers of attorney for financial matters. It's extremely important to pick the right person, a person that you can trust absolutely, not only to do what's right for you, but those whom you love and whom you want to make sure gets the benefit of your property at the appropriate time, which would normally be your spouse and children, but not always in that order. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tough decision to make, but uh, it's it's an important one that you should make because otherwise that those decisions will be made for you, not necessarily by a person by your choosing. So if that's mm -hmm. a situation you want to avoid, I want right. to encourage you to give Bill a call at 919-256-7000. Schedule an appointment. That's 919-256-7000. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. We're talking about fiduciary standards this morning. And, Bill, we've sort of gone over a, a lot about what is expected of a fiduciary, what's sort of required of fiduciaries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we heard uh, 
I guess it was maybe a, a month or a few weeks back that uh, on the financial side of things, that standard has gone through some changes. Well, that's true. In fact, uh, the Labor Department, United States Labor Department, uh, uh, issued a rule for financial advisors uh, that had to to do with retirement accounts and pushing financial advisors to be fiduciaries. In other words, to, they called it the fiduciary rule, which basically meant that when financial advisors were giving advice regarding your retirement accounts, they had to, to uh, give their advice based on what uh, is in your best interest. That's a fiduciary standard. Not the the old rule, or actually, I should say, the current rule, is not what's in your best interest. But they could give advice on anything that might be an appropriate investment. So the only way they got in trouble would be if they advised you to do an inappropriate investment, something that you really shouldn't invest in it it wouldn't the uh, fiduciary rule goes way beyond that it's like what's in your best interest might involve you have two funds that you could go into they're both relatively good funds but one is much more expensive to you than the other in other words one's a lower cost fund uh, but maybe what the but the advisor uh, earns under that recommendation would be more for the one that's more expensive. Well, under the fiduciary rule, the advisor would be required to recommend the lower cost fund. And to the degree that that was against the advisor's best interest because the advisor would make less money, that's what the standard was supposed to be. Well, uh, actually, all of the invest, you know, all of the companies geared up for the fiduciary rule, and then uh, the um, uh, the, the uh, government suspended the rule. Um, you know, the president suspended the rule, and then, uh, if my recollection, then a, a court also basically ruled uh, not long ago that the Labor Department didn't have the underlying legal right to create the rule. So what, what does that mean? It means that the rule is back to the appropriate standard rule and your advisors don't have a, a fiduciary standard uh, as it relates to your retirement accounts. Now, what was really interesting is that when the Labor Department issued the rule for fiduciary standards, um, the companies could not deal with two different standards. And so um, the standard for the, from the Labor Department only applied to your retirement accounts. Now, by retirement accounts, I'm talking about any kind of retirement account um, that involved ERISA, which is the federal law in term, that applies to most retirement accounts. Uh, and actually any kind of retirement account, such as an IRA, 401k, 403b, 457, federal thrift savings accounts, all the different retirement accounts. So the companies basically imposed fiduciary standard on all accounts, not just retirement accounts. But now, since the Labor Department rule is not being utilized anymore, then they, they, they're going back to the appropriate standard uh, as it relates. Now, truthfully, 
Um, I like the fiduciary standard. If you can't <laughs> realize that, you know, as an attorney, I'm I am uh, already under the fiduciary rule for my clients. Period, and I like that. I think that's the way it should be. That should be the professional standard, whether you're a lawyer or not a lawyer. But you know, professionals should be held to a standard of doing what's in the best interest, you know, giving advice based on what's in the best interest of the client, at least to the best of your ability. That's, that's, what, it's, um, that's what it's all about. And, uh, and that's what I promise to all my clients, no matter what I'm doing for them. Uh, it, it makes a, a huge difference as it relates. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's what it's all about in terms of what we should be doing for the folks that we try to help. Uh, but, but So people do need to know that the fiduciary standard for financial advisors is off the books as of right now. And I, I don't uh, think it's going to come back unless Congress acts, and I don't see Congress doing anything as it relates to the fiduciary rule uh, one way or the other. So we're basically back to the standard of isn't it an appropriate investment? Uh, and, and so what that basically means is that as the investor, you don't have any recourse against the financial advisor or the broker-dealer uh, for breaking the fiduciary rule as long as the investment can be somehow said to be appropriate for you. <laughs> okay, so that's important. All right, so one other kind of fiduciary standard, it's not quite the same, but that is how do we take care of our children? And by children, I'm not talking about our 50-year-old children. I'm talking about our minor children, our dependent children, those who depend depend on us to uh, basically look after them. And, of course, uh, most of us uh, wouldn't think otherwise. I mean, because of our love and affection for our children, at least most of the time, uh, when they're not uh, just driving us crazy, um, is the fact that that's a natural duty that we have to take care of our children. But the important part is our minor children can't take care of themselves. We, you know, basically need to be there to provide, to protect them, to provide for them, those kind of things. And that, in fact, I shouldn't say it, but that's one of the reasons that this whole thing with the Catholic priests and their sexual abuse of children is triply horrible because the, the parents are entrusting their children to these people who have breached that confidence and and but the parents are uh, have this responsibility as as well if you really get down to it and so uh, I wanted to talk briefly about planning as it relates to uh, minor children because so many young people young parents um, basically don't do any planning. They have no documents between themselves. They figure they're going to live forever and they'll never need documents. And the fact of the matter is, is that when people get married and have children, then they have obligations to each other and they certainly have obligations to their children. And one of the most important things they can do, truthfully, is to have 
good legal documents for themselves and for their children. You know, typically people might go out and buy life insurance to protect the financial well-being of their children and their spouse if something bad should happen to them. Uh, But you need legal documents to go with that. And so uh, uh, in in my office, one of the things that we do, and I've I've created it and had it for years because I started with my own children. You you can't get better planning than when you're doing it for yourself – uh, so I, I created a trust for my own children. Now, this we're talking 30-some years ago at this point uh, because I've been at this for 42 years, uh, going on 43 now, um, uh, to basically have a plan in place if something bad should, hap- should have happened to my wife and me. Um, and so who would take care of the children? Where would the money come from? Who would be responsible for the money? And how would it be used? So back then I created a will, and obviously that was not irrevocable because of the bottom line is I would have to die for it to apply. And in in the case, it was both my wife and I would have had to have died for the trust for my children to actually have um, been used. Okay, but so we had to decide, okay, if— we died, who would we want in our family to actually take care of our children, take them into their home and care for them uh, as best, just like we do, or hopefully, (laughs) okay? And so that would be what we would call a guardian for our minor children. And then the next question was, uh, and, and this is not necessarily the same person or persons, who would be responsible for investing the money that we leave for the benefit of our children in trust um, and, you know, who would make the decisions on how the money would be distributed. Well, the whole purpose of the trust is to be able to make that happen. So we would appoint a trustee who, in my case, was different from who the guardian was. In other words, one family member was the wonderful, loving guardian type and then I had my brother who was the banker, uh, who was a a real tightwad, good with money. (laughs) So he was the right choice to be entrusted with um, investing uh, the children's money and distributing the money to the guardian, uh, either that or directly for the children's benefit for their education or health or, or, um, you know, whatever they needed. Um, so the bottom line is I started out with a trust for my own children and then over the years improved it and improved it and improved it again as I got better ideas and became a better lawyer over time and those kind of things. So, But having that kind of plan in place is really important. And then there's one last thing that often we forget as parents because for the first 18 years, uh, we know that we have not only the responsibility, but the ability to make decisions for our children. And um, But what people forget about is the fact that when they turn 18, we no longer have legal authority to make decisions for our children. Uh, and it, it's sort of scary when you think about it because most 18-year-olds 
uh, aren't mature enough at that age to really make good decisions for themselves. Um, and that's one reason why a trust is really important uh, if they would come into money uh, from us because of our debt. But at the same time, what we're forgetting about is what if they get injured? Who can make a health care decision for them? And a health care, in other words, what I recommend is that when your children turn 18, then you have at a very minimum, you have them execute a health care power of attorney where it's clear that you can still make health care decisions for them if they are, are not in a position to do it for themselves. And obviously, this would be where there's a bad accident involved or something where someone needs to be able to make a decision. And I'm not saying that parents can't do that if it really came down to it, but it's far, far better to have a legal document that empowers you to make those kind of, of decisions. Uh, and of course, there's several different healthcare documents that can be very helpful to folks. But when their children reach the magic age of 18, then they should consider uh, having, in other words, when they review their own documents and have their documents done and they have a child that's maybe 18, 19, 20, 21, they're not married, they're still just out there floundering around uh, like my kids did at that age. <laughs> uh, <laughs> most of my stories come back to me in one way or another. But uh, the bottom line is having health, at least health care documents, if not financial documents done for them at that time is a good thing. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And again, if you need help with that, head over to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. There you can find information about WG Alexander and Associates, and you can schedule an appointment to get this important thing, these important things taken care of. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're talking uh, uh, a lot about, uh, we've spent a, a lot of time earlier on the fiduciary mm -hmm. standard and how that's important and got into a little bit of uh, financial perspective here. And um, you know, we were talking about some things that you may want to uh, take into account as when you're a parent of minor children, and that was uh, signing up for uh, or getting your your uh, durable power of attorney set, set up for a healthcare mm -hmm. power of attorney when mm -hmm. your child turns 18. Uh, and there's there's still more information there that folks need to know about when it comes to that parent-child relationship. Well, and it works both ways in terms of parent to child, and then in later years, child to parent. Uh, the fact of the matter is that. We live in a much more complicated world today in, in some respects. Uh, families are more complicated than ever, <laughs> if you will. Um, and, and, you know, one of the easy things about parenting, I mean, there's really nothing easy about parenting if you get down to it, but, um, but there is a, a difference in that relationship, and that is your children don't have any real say in the matter they uh, in terms of where they live they live with you 
<laughs> okay. So you're all together in that role, parent to child. And But, you know, when our children grow up, they, they spread wings. <laughs> and they can fly anywhere they want to go. They don't have to stay near home. Now, some parents are blessed with the fact that their children decide to stay close to home. But, you I mean, it's really sort of funny in my practice. I mean, half the time or half the folks that I see – uh, they have parents. We're actually grandparents moving into this area. Why? It's not. It's not necessarily because Raleigh uh, or the Research Triangle is the most fabulous place in the whole world to live. It's because their grandchildren live here, and it's like they want to be close to their grandchildren. And they may have moved from many states away. Or, uh, but the bottom line is, is that our our children are mobile even when we may not be mobile. You know, we may be rooted in the same community for 50 or 60 or 70 years, and our children don't live here anymore. Well, that makes things far more difficult when we age and then we need the assistance of somebody. We need the assistance, hopefully, of our children. And if we have a child close by that is that we still have a very close relationship to, then Thank the Lord. There, you know, we uh, have someone who will come forward typically and and help us in our our time of need. But you know, th- then it's a question of how do you put a plan in place to help to make that happen. Well, you know, sometimes the, the it, it, more times than not the children. You know, even the older children, and by older children, I mean the 30 and 40 and 50-year-olds, are still looking to the parents to – in other words, they've never cut the cord. Right. (laughs) Well, that's not a good thing, you know, because, you know, that's certainly not the age I grew up in where, you know, my parents expected me to get out the door and make a living. Uh, But it's, it's more difficult for our children to actually earn uh, a living that makes a difference to them. And so um, sometimes it, uh, parents do need to help uh, keep their children on track financially. And while it's not the best situation, there and there are things that even if, if the children are out on their own, uh, oftentimes there are things financial that uh, – people can do for their children and grandchildren, uh, particularly those who are well-to-do. And some of the thoughts that a lot of folks don't get, and I, I love to think out of the box uh, as it relates to that. That's, I think, from my perspective, one reason I'm a little different or a lot different from a lot of other folks. But the bottom line is if, if uh, parents have uh, or grandparents have plenty of money for themselves, which is not always the case, of course, uh, and they're not worried about running out of money for themselves. They got plenty. Um, then can they do some things for their children and grandchildren? Sure. What can they do for their children? Well, truthfully, one of the most important things they can do for their children, uh, but uh, particularly those who are in their 30s and 40s, is they can provide a long-term care insurance contract for their children. In in other words, pay for that long-term care insurance. Why? Because it's 
very inexpensive when people get it young, when they're healthy. And by young, I'm saying 30 and 40s, not 50s and 60s and 70s, because uh, when you wait, it becomes expensive. And, and as all of us know, as we get older, our bodies don't do as well. You know, we have little things that happen and we're going, oh, no, or sometimes, you know, whatever. But the <laughs> bottom line is we don't work as well. And sometimes those situations can make us uninsurable or it can make us where we're rated. So while the companies may say, yeah, we'll provide you with insurance, but we're going to charge you twice as much as someone who is healthier than you. And of course, one of the biggest things as it relates to life insurance and long-term care insurance is smoking. If you want to pay higher premiums than smoke, because obviously all the medical evidence is, is that you're going to have lots more problems than those who don't smoke. But all of us, whether we smoke or not, are going to have problems. That's just the way life is. If we get old enough, we're going to have problems. So, um, But the bottom line is, so what could we do for our children? Well, we could potentially pro- help them pay for or pay for life insurance um, that's better than term insurance because term insurance basically is going to go away eventually where a whole life insurance policy uh, will be available to them for their entire life. And you can uh, you can also help with long-term care insurance because when they're young, it's very inexpensive. And then, But the children are not thinking about long-term care. They're thinking about partying or they're thinking about how do I uh, create a retirement account for myself or how do I save money to pay off my mortgage or buy a house or how do I save money for my own children's college education, things like that. Those are all important. But the bottom line is sometimes parents can do things that their parents that their children aren't thinking about, but we know it's in their best interest. And long-term care is one of those things. And you can also do life insurance with a long-term care rider that uh, can be a very powerful thing uh, if it's done when people are fairly young. Uh, so that's something that parents and grandparents can do for their uh, children that makes a big difference. It truly does. And we've got to take a quick break. But when we come back, we want to talk a little bit more about how those financial relationships between parents and children can be very key and some ideas that parents can implement to help their children out uh, even more so in the long run. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and I want to remind everyone that you can catch Bill tomorrow morning on the CW22 with his TV show, Money Secrets. And Bill, you've also got a book out by the same name, Money Secrets, with Bill and Mike. It's available at Amazon. Folks can search there and purchase your books. And 
Bill, I, I've got a question for okay. you because we, we talk all about asset protection here on the mm-hmm. show and your legal background. Why isn't it called law secrets? Why is it called money secrets, Bill? You know, that, that's, that's what I was expecting you to hand me, and I, I've always kind of wondered that. Well, it's, it's because uh, money secrets is focused on financial decisions. Uh, now, of course, uh, as opposed to legal decisions, and, and of course, anybody in their right mind realizes that legal decisions in terms of what they want, how they want it, um, who they're going to entrust, those kinds of things. And their financial decisions should merge. It should go together. It should be consistent. Uh, and, of course, um, in fact, uh, I, I believe you know this because my most important role for my clients is as an attorney with lots of experience. But at the same time, one of the things that makes me a little different in terms of my focus is that I have a securities license so that I can review financial uh, matters for clients. Uh, and I also have insurance licenses. And I've been doing insurance reviews for, for folks for many, many, many years. Uh, even before I was insurance licensed as an attorney, their insurance uh, was very important to us. But you know, at the same time, I can help people with financial and, and insurance issues, but I come at it with a very different focus than most financial advisors. Number one, I make my money practicing law, and so if I can help somebody on the financial side, uh, that's not my focus. So I'm not trying to push anything on anybody. And that, But the big difference for me as it relates to asset protection planning is – I don't know of any financial advisors uh, who actually understands anything to do with government assistance. So the majority of financial advisors out there are only looking at if you need long-term care, then you need long-term care insurance. That's the only thing we can do for you. But I don't look at it that way because I know government assistance and I know that certain financial products are actually very bad for clients who have a long-term care crisis. And so my perspective is very different as it relates to how do you merge all of your financials with your legal goals? You know, how, how do you do that? And that's one thing that I do extremely well. That's really important because most people's financials are not consistent. They you have bankers who are trying to get you to do one thing and your uh, investment brokers to do another and your, your lawyers are trying to talk about something else and your CPA is talking about something else. And most folks don't have a clue on how to put it all together, and that's what I do. Yeah, and you do that very well. And again, it's it's peace of mind when it comes to asset protection because the financial side of things and the insurance side of things are so critical to making sure that you have a great asset protection plan in place. Again, you can catch Bill tomorrow morning on the CW22 with the TV show Money Secrets, and he's got a book out by the same name as well, Money Secrets with Bill and Mike. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF.
Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Just about out of time here, Bill. Any parting shots here? Any words of wisdom that you want to pepper uh, well, the audience with before we leave? I, I only uh, I hope that uh, I've given people some food for thought, some good ideas that they can use. Uh, and if I can help someone, I'll be delighted to do that. Excellent. And if you want to uh, take Bill up on that offer, you can go to WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com, or call the office to schedule an appointment. It's 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. want to remind you, you can find a replay of this program also at WGALaw.com or at WPTF. We will be back and do this next week. We do this every Saturday morning at 11, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thank you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend.